episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Kevin Gallagher. And here helping us break down some of the incredible moments from UFC 249, uh, former UFC fighter, you might have caught her on Dana White's Contender Series, uh, now working at ESPN as a, a fight commentator, analyst, interviewing all the people we know and love. Coming to us uh, live from Kevin's hometown of Florida, Laura Sanko. Laura, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I have to correct you, though, because I did not fight in the UFC. I don't want anyone being like, oh, she's making stuff up again. I fought. I did fight professionally in Invicta briefly and somewhat gloriously but well, uh yeah i don't mind it i don't mind it no these, these things are not always clear no they're a, they're a separate organization they're, they're very uh there's a really close relationship um because obviously a lot of invicta fighters end up in the ufc but that that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast because i don't know if you know this but shannon knapp used to work for dana way yeah. back yeah, I, I remember looking into the relationships of some of the earlier promotions and how they they sort of coalesced in a lot of ways. So it's, yeah. it's it is interesting hearing about, you know, some of the origins of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm an I'm an idiot. I'm a dummy. I'm very so tired. I'm very sorry about that. Laura, you but, can't you can't you can't really it's 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 difficult for me to, to explain how excited Kevin was to do this podcast, by the way. So uh, he's a little bit nervous with this. We're gonna well, him, I mean, yeah, one like, of bigger growing up in growing up in Connecticut, ESPN is just a constant fixture. You know, yeah. it's a, like it's uh, the HQs over there. And so, you know, it's always ha- always nice having a journalist come on. You know, it's surreal. Shop. It's surreal to me that I I hold an ESPN mic. You know what I mean? Because I don't have a background in broadcasting at all. I have a background in fighting, and I still—that's—that's that's where all of this comes from—just the knowledge and the love of the game. And then they accidentally found out that I could sort of fake my way into being okay on camera, and gave gave me long enough to figure out where I got a little bit more okay with it. But it's—it's it's pretty crazy. It's cool. Well, I mean, I personally believe that people like yourself are in uh, are, are commodity right now, and particularly when we start talking about the ever evolving growth of MMA and jiu-jitsu and other other combat sports into the, the everyday market because there's a lot of people that are broadcasters and there's a lot of people that are fight enthusiasts and fight aficionados that know the game but there yeah. are not a lot of people that do both and you are an intelligent person you do a good job of explaining things and you have an advanced knowledge of the topic so yeah. I'm happy to see people like yourself getting the shot to going out there and, and doing what you do so well, I, hopefully, I can take advantage of the fact that there are not many, <laughs> not many people like what you just described. Because I think if I was trying to compete for a a basketball sideline reporting or a, you know an NFL sideline reporting job, that would be uh, that'd be that'd be a different deal. So I'm I'm excited that I kind of feel like this happened at the right time and is is continuing to happen and hopefully can can continue to grow. Uh, in the ways that I want to in this job. Well, you're all you're also very attractive. So use that. Use what God gave you. Well, take advantage of it. I get out of the way now. We're done. I won't bother you anymore. I knew it was going to happen. Can I admit something to you? 
I slept in the shirt. <laughs> I haven't showered today. Uh, it's been a long, it's been a long week. So that compliment means more to me than you know. So thank you, <laughs> Laura. If for me, it means a lot that you're here to to witness Kevin Gallagher's last episode of the Jiu Jitsu Times. <laughs> that was the last shot. That was it. I'm done now. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, we really do appreciate you uh, taking the time to stop by. Uh, I was the the. Uh, reporter for the JJT that ended up covering a majority of the, the fights that happened on Saturday. Ah. Just, Oh, like, Oh Lord, what an absolute surreal experience. Like just the, from everything from the lack of uh, audience members to yeah. the, the finishes that we saw. Uh, what are your thoughts on the event as a whole? You know, my, I, I guess my biggest takeaway is that it was a very strange experience. It was, um, difficult in a lot of ways because we were dealing with so many, it's hard to, it's really kind of hard to explain how many extra measures the UFC has gone. It's, it's hard enough to put on fights in normal circumstances, uh, and make everything happen and make everything go right. Quite frankly, every show feels like a miracle to me. And I'm, I love the people I work with and they're so good at what they do because honestly, only, only this group of people would be able to pull off what they have the number of factors involved in everything that we're doing. But overall, the feeling around here, I feel like is just people are so, people are proud to be a part of this and to get the get the show going again. You know, there's elements of being here that are weird. Uh, and then there's times where like, you kind of forget that all this stuff is going on because things are starting to open back up. And I got to eat, you know, the restaurants here at the hotel are open. So I got to sit down at a restaurant with my friends and it was like, I was so giddy to be talking with people, you know, and, and, but then you look over and you have to have a bracelet on and it was, so it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think the overwhelming emotion is just, is pride and excitement. So how did the actual testing regimen work? Were they testing the fighters as they arrived? Were they tested yeah. pre, 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 prior to arrival? How, how did the whole situation pan out? Well, I know that they were in contact with people prior to arrival and sort of like getting them prepared for, you know, if you've, if you've been in contact with people that you either know or suspect, like don't come. If you've, right. you know, if you've been traveling internationally, so there were all these sort of uh, flags that that were the first, you know, filtering process. As soon as I got here, um, I was put in a private van. Daniel Cormier was on my flight. I was put in a private van with him, and we came straight to the hotel. And there was a private entrance, and we went. We didn't check in. We just went straight up to this other floor. And immediately got our temperature taken, got the antibody test, got the seven-inch-long Q-tip <laughs> stuck up our nose. Up. I had no yeah. idea my nose even went that deep. That was news <laughs> to me. Um, and uh, and then the nice thing about the antibody test is it comes back in ten minutes, so you sit very far apart from people because we don't know yet uh, in a waiting area and. You, within 10 minutes, they're testing for two different types of antibodies, active antibodies and antibodies that show that you've been exposed or previously have had COVID-19. And so if you flag for having uh, sort of the, ooh, we're a little bit worried antibodies, then they're very careful to put you like, you don't leave your room. You are wearing a mask and gloves all the time. Like j just quarantine yourself here until we have your full COVID results back. So I know that there were some people that had like, a faint line. They were super careful with those people. Um, I, I can't say enough about how well thought out and how difficult uh, it has been to pull this off. And But I'll tell you, I feel safer here than anywhere else, honestly. 
Um, real quick, just uh, in terms of uh, there was a lot of uh, pay attention paid to social distancing, mm -hmm. and it seemed like the UFC was very well prepared. How did uh, Jacare testing positive uh, affect the mood of the event? Was there? No, I think did... I think people were. I think people were alarmed. You, you know, and this is maybe a little bit of a commentary on everything, but I think you hear oh, he's got it. And then you have this moment of like, oh gosh, right? But then when you start to think about how it actually played out, how safe he was, how much he had been quarantined, the fact that he was constantly wearing mask and a glove, the fact that he was completely asymptomatic, did not have a fever, was not showing any signs of being sick whatsoever. What are we, what are we right. so afraid of? The testing procedure worked, right? At right. some point when you're testing well over a thousand people, Someone's probably going to have it. Someone is going to be an asymptomatic carrier. So the the program worked. You know what I mean? Like I, I think. And granted, listen, I, I work for the UFC. I'm well aware of that. that's why I never refer to myself as a journalist, right? Because I'm not. I am not entirely unbiased, and I'm the first person to tell you that I work for the UFC. I work for ESPN, but I'm not a journalist. I'm an on-air talent. <laughs> Whatever you want to call me, a correspondent. Um, but it, 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 I guess it bothers me a little bit when, as soon as that came out, all this negativity was attached to it. And I was like, well, this isn't, wouldn't it be weirder if no one did? Right. Then wouldn't we all be concerned that like this stuff wasn't working, right? It's sort of a damned if you do, damned, damned if you don't situation. But I, I, my experience has been nothing but positive down here. I think uh, it, it would be interesting to see that the success, given the success of the UFC, obviously it was success. You know, we, we even even finding that Jacare was 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 tested positive, that did a good job of quarantining him in. And, you know, with the, the steps they took mm -hmm. with the mask and the gloves to keep him away from from everyone. Like it, this particular platform or this particular event could possibly be used as a template oh, for absolutely. other sporting events and other activities in the future to, to kind of mimic what they're doing. And that and that since I, uh, I I'm very happy with what the UFC has done. Yeah. But let's 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 talk a little bit about what it was like being at an event without audiences because <laughs> I was a little I was a little bit worried that you know as a fighter someone that's competed on on a big stage I also understand what it's like to have the crowd as kind of that that extra man in the cage to kind of get you going to kind of get you amped up when you kind of feed off of that energy. Did you see any of the fighters that were that were attracted by that? Did you think that that was any kind of an issue? You know, I think most fighters, I think there's probably a brief moment of like, oh, this is weird. But I mean, you when you're when you're making that walk, I think most fighters are so laser focused. They're so in their own head about what they're about to do that it's not they don't need that to find to find the switch. Right. I think all of these men and women are so experienced and so high level at this point that I don't think it was that. Although where I find it very interesting is. You know, the crowd, whether we want to admit it or not, can influence judging. And if one fighter is landing strikes and everybody's going, oh, you know, that that can influence a judge that's sitting there and like, oh, wow, that punch really, that punch had more effect than that other punch, you know. And it's really hard to say unless you're the one getting punched, right? Sure. Um, the place where I actually think, and, and this is, I'm going to give credit to Daniel Cormier, but I, I totally agree with him. I think it helped Justin Gaethje a lot. And by that, I mean, I think that Justin is a guy who has said himself, he gets, he has so much fun out there. He is so willing to wade into the fire 
to stand in the pocket and just bang it out. And that's like, that's his happy place, right? And what the lack of crowd allowed him to do is not get overexcited by the cheers and hear Trevor Whitman crystal clear. And you could hear Trevor, I think it was going into the fifth round. Trevor's like, you need to set, like, Justin's sitting on the stool. He's like, this is awesome. This is so good. Trevor's like, stop, calm down. Like, you have to stay focused. This is how you lost the other two times. You were having too much fun. Keep your head in this game. So the fact that Justin was able to hear Trevor. Now, of course, Tony was able to hear his coaches as well. But I think Justin and Justin needs Trevor, and Trevor is an excellent an excellent fit for for Justin. And I think that was a, a part of his victory. Honestly, that's pretty interesting. I never thought about it that way because it's it is true. Because I watched this fight, and they they're constantly commenting on the fact that like Justin Gagey, this is the first time we've actually seen him fight an intelligent fight. There's no way he was going to knock mm-hmm. out freaking Ferguson. It just wasn't going to happen. And the only way he would have been able to win is if he punched himself out or overexert himself or did something stupid to allow uh, Ferguson to get the advantage. And as long as he stayed the course and, and was smart, like an intelligent fighter that's seasoned to go to that next level to really become mm-hmm. a championship fighter does. And the lack of a crowd might have kept him from getting emotionally invested in that. And I also like the thought the thought you brought up about the judging because, again, yeah, judges are 100% of humans. They're affected by, yeah. by sound. They're affected by the, by the crowds cheering. And a lot of times rounds, you know, you've got an impartial crowd because maybe they're, they're, there's more for, for one fighter than the other. They're affected by that and they're judging. So maybe we had a better better judging structure. I feel and like also, the, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you can go ahead. I was just saying also, I mean, you could hear – I was in the back and I, there were times I could hear – Daniel Cormier com- commentating. Right. So when you've got DC and Joe Rogan color commentating, saying like, "Oh, he should really, he really needs to find that underhook here. He really needs to, you know, swim to the back." Or like, "Oh, he's got to do a better job of looking for that left hook." Right? They're saying it out loud. So, right. I mean, you're gonna hear that as a fighter. Right. So that to me was like an interesting element. I wonder. I wish fighter, like a fighter, would come forward and admit to like, "Man, yeah." I heard DC say X, Y, or Z, and I changed it. And it's like having two extra corners. Yeah. That's cool. So let's talk a little bit about that uh, Gaethje, uh, Gothy. I can never say his damn name. Gaethje. Yeah. yeah, I'm still not going to get yeah. it right, but whatever. <laughs> let's talk a little about that fight and, and the yeah, amount of damage I, I, that Ferguson took. Real off the, off the bat, right off the bat, um, just to, to capitalize on what you said, he looked – like a machine yeah. like he was he like he had downloaded his tasks for the night beforehand and was just ruthlessly accomplishing them to the best of his ability and it was it was bizarre seeing a coach having to calm his fighter down often you're like you got to get focused you get revved up you got to go yeah. but he's like justin you're at a 10 you yeah. gotta take it down to an eight but <laughs> yeah this is a light this is a fight where you're fighting someone but you're amped up too much. <laughs> yeah, he was telling him, he said, take 10% off those punches. Like, stop trying to kill him with every single punch, which is what Justin does, right? And, you know, one of the biggest takeaways from that fight for me personally, and just sort of in general, as someone who likes to talk about these things like we are now, I up until this point, and maybe it was a fair assessment to a degree up until this point, but from here moving forward, I'm, I'm putting the word wild away from my vocabulary when I talk about Justin Gaethje. I always used to, oh, he's such a wild striker. And yeah. he's definitely wild in his mentality, right? He's, he's wild in the brain. He's willing to go places and, and, and act without any hesitation or fear. But when you say wild, whether you mean it to or not, it implies this like lack of technique or lack of sophistication. And when you go back and watch that fight, nothing could be further from the truth. The, the footwork, the angles, his head movement, like, 
when he moves his head offline now, it's not just a slip or a slip, which those are great. It's a full Tyson like torso. Right. I'm gonna like stay, my feet are gonna stay in the pocket. I'm gonna go right under and I'm gonna land a combination as soon as I come up. It was absolutely beautiful. And the fact that he had a six and a half reach disadvantage, right? right. Six and a half reach, six and a half inches of reach disadvantage against Tony Ferguson. He had no problem finding Tony. No problem yeah. whatsoever. His footwork, yeah. keeping himself, keeping his hips under himself all the time. I mean, he's just, it, it was technical to a level where I'm, I'm sort of in some ways embarrassed that I ever called him wild, to be honest with you, but it was maybe for, more fair before. Um, he definitely has a he definitely has a, a, amazing technique in his punches and his slipping and, and his using mm -hmm. his defense to to influence his offense because a lot of things a lot of people things don't understand like a little beginners out there novice guys don't realize is that your defense as you're slipping is the same thing as setting up a punch that the same yep. role that I'm using the role to slip mm -hmm. a puncher to miss a punch is also the setting same up your hook motion that I'm putting yep. the power into my opposite punch to come back with my punches he does yeah. it better than anybody it was, he he, to, he totally outclassed Tony on the feet but the, and as that was becoming more apparent I could only wonder you know Tony made one solid effort to get the fight to the ground he went made a far a, a long shot Imanari role that that he didn't chain into anything. He seemed very hesitant to bring the fight to the ground. And I, am I crazy in, in saying that? Or did you, did you notice? Something yeah, similar? I was maybe surprised that he didn't push the wrestling more because his Tony is so good anywhere on the ground, right? He's got one of the most violent bottom guards that you'll see. He can land elbows. Right. He's obviously got all the submissions um, from the bottom. He's great on top as well. So he, you kind of can't find a bad spot for Tony on the ground, he got snapped down city. Of course, he's got all those front head chokes. Um, but Justin Gaethje's takedown defense is insane. It's yeah. truly insane. I want to say it's like 85%. And it's the only reason he's missing that 15% is because people never shoot on him. So like the, the, the how they get to that percentage, there's not even that big of a, um, of a group that they're, they're, they're drawing the percentage from. No one shoots on him because right. he's an NCAA division one, uh, all, all, American. all American. And he uses, he only uses his wrestling, defensively so i think it's a good question and it was definitely one that i had but i would imagine it had to do with justin made himself hard to find you know his hips yeah. are always in the right spot always in the right spot and if you're going to try to find his hips you're going to eat a punch on the way in and good luck pinning him against the cage i was i was kind of interested to hear and i don't mean to turn this into my interview <laughs> no you're fine <laughs> That's weird. Go ahead. That. i was interested in the uh the the bjj perspective of you know and i love eddie but when eddie called for an imanari now listen this is what i will say if anybody's going to get an imanari role and like if anybody's been practicing that on a regular basis it's tony ferguson so that is i will totally chalk that up to being accurate but it felt to me it felt to me mildly desperate and i didn't that wasn't a look that i loved for that moment i guess well in my opinion, based upon that, yes, it was desperate, but was desperate with with reason because there's no way he was going to win that fight on his feet. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. JG was consistently beating him to the punch, and as tough as Ferguson is, like he was going to get killed, and eventually did in the end. When when thankfully, like mercifully, Herb mm -hmm. Dean came in and stopped it. I was very, I was very, I thought they could have stopped it earlier. Just totally. my opinions on it, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Based upon that, also like Tony Ferguson isn't known as much for his takedown abilities. He's definitely a guy that likes to bang and likes to stay on his feet and use his movement. And typically, he beats guys in that regard. What he does do, he fights like you said, he fights very well off of his back. 
So what he was trying to do was entice Gothi with the Eminari role. Even if he doesn't get the leg lace off of it, now he has Gothi in his guard with the opportunity for him to now work the elbows and work his offense mm-hmm. from his guard. Because I feel like Eddie Bravo, you know, got to the point and got to the realization that the only we way gotta do, we got to do, yeah. yeah. we got to do, we got to do, yeah. let's try to entice him and maybe go through in turn makes the mistake to come in and seize an opportunity to come for the finish, even if we don't get the MNRI role. Yeah. So now he's in a dangerous place, which is Tony Ferguson's close. Oh. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna, I was just going to pause it. And this is like uh real cringy, still shooting for for Ezekiel's from inside closed guard blue belt Kevin here, not black belt master champion Kevin to my to my side. <laughs> three, three but oh. is I assumed that he uh, just because it, we saw with Kevin Lee how good he is off his back. He got his black belt from Eddie based on his performance on the ground in that fight. You know, mm-hmm. like he got promoted based off of that finish. I think he's not going to take uh, Gaethje down. He know they both have very similar wrestling backgrounds, actually, in terms mm-hmm. of just uh, collegiate. And um, I don't know how much Gaethje does jujitsu, but I think, and there's no way he would risk this. No, like at that high a level, people don't. You're not supposed to pull guard. Kevin, mm-hmm. is that is that fair to say you're not supposed to pull guard? Well, I mean, you're not supposed to do anything, but you're not supposed to get knocked out yeah. on your feet either. You know, people forgive you if you're if you're Brian Ortega, you can pull guard. I mean, there's a few people that are John Gracie can pull guard, and even yeah. Gracie can pull guard in Bellator. Like, there's a, a short list. But yeah. I thought there's a world where you know uh, Tony's got a great clinch game. He's very good at establishing the clinch. He uses those weird Wing Chun hand traps. What I assumed was going to happen was either he gets the Imanari role and then we live in a different world where Khabib Tony is still going to happen or he clinches up and, and pulls guard and then is able to like try to go for maybe like assuming he doesn't bring him down completely, maybe get some uh, try to get a quick X guard, De La Hiva and like go for some foot locks off the, off the back. I, I don't know. Truthfully, I don't know what Tony's thinking because I think Tony's not used to being hurt. You know, like I don't yeah. think he's 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 a zombie. For most of the fight, he looked fine. Like he was just getting shot and shot, and it was only towards the end that we really saw the saw the wear and tear start to show up. Like even Joe Rogan commented, "Look, his his stomach is, after round two isn't moving much. He's not breathing mm-hmm. deeply. It was creepy." He's always had great cardio, but it's there there are some people that for whatever reason don't get knocked down and don't get their lights put out but doesn't mean you're not getting concussed and that's uh, to be honest with you there was i I was so gosh i was so happy slash proud of herb dean for stopping that the way that he did because only an experienced ref would have the balls excuse me (laughs) we've said far worse okay all right good um not many refs would have the balls to do that right and everyone applauded him for it because it was the right move and john anik was talking about how he commentated um a boxing fight one time where someone died and he said you know it's not it 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 doesn't happen the way you think it's going to happen you know it's because the guy's too tough for his own good and isn't capable of making rational decisions anymore. That's why you have to have strong refs and strong corners that are capable of just saying, you know what, this is this is this is too much. Now, you know, I 
I, I would love to just really quickly, just because that is an incredibly natural dovetail. We can go back to this uh, in a bit, but I would love to just deviate very quickly to the other yeah. championship <laughs> out of the night, just because that's very apropos. And it's got a lot of people talking about early stoppages. Um, Cejudo uh, Cruz, uh, mm-hmm. referee Keith Peterson uh, came under fire from Cruz for a, a st- an early stoppage in his own words, saying that like yeah. I was getting up. In, in in a weird way, it was very similar to Dillashaw, the Dillashaw stop. It, so, it was, which, you know. Which I thought was bizarre given Cruz and Dillashaw's relationship. But uh, as someone that was uh, had a much closer eye on it than any of us, uh, how did you feel about that stoppage? Mm, I'll say this. It was not, it's not the worst early stoppage I've seen, but I did feel like it was a little early. Um, there were, there were, a good number of unanswered shots but what I always look for and maybe this is the thing I'm not Keith Peterson I wasn't three feet away I was watching it on a screen uh, like the rest of us were and what I always look for is on the replays is can you ever see their eyes roll even a little bit can you ever see their face hit the canvas even a little bit or uh, other telltales that there was even a flash knockout, which you can recover from a flash knock, people, knockout. People do that all the time. But it's under more understandable why if a ref sees someone's eyes do something funny that they're like, no, 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 we're done. Um, I didn't, I personally didn't see any of that, but there were a lot of unanswered shots. But when you're in that position where you're turtled up and covering up, that's what happens there. And then what you do is you look for a leg and you look to build back up. So I'm, I'm, I do feel like it was a little bit early, but it's also not the craziest, worst thing I've ever seen either. And Henry was, Henry was really doing great in that fight. What, what I saw with that is two things. That the, 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 the biggest thing of it is, is what I think about that when I think about that stop. It's just the fact that it's a championship fight and it's Dominic yeah. Cruz. And in yeah. a championship fight, you have to know that there's, you know, there's about three, four seconds left in the round because there was. It was a short time. That's right. And you yeah. give them the opportunity to continue to fight because it's a championship fight. Now. Based upon what we saw, the accumulation of all the blows that Dominic Cruz take, that knee, you know, Henry Cejudo gets cut. He realizes the urgency to finish the fight. He comes out there and does what he has to do. He does what two champions does. He lands that ginormous knee, and you see Dominic Cruz fall back, you know, pretty hurt when he falls back on the ground. Now, to say he was lifeless, maybe not, but he looked considerably hurt. The ref at that point was ready to stop it then because you see him actually jump in at that point to think yeah. about stopping it, but he recognized that Dominic is about okay. Mm-hmm. Then Cejudo jumps on top, grabs the, the the Kimura on the other side, and starts landing those unanswered punches from underneath where the referee can no longer see if Dominic Cruz is responding or not. Yeah, because he had his he head in the, where the cage meets the canvas. So It's very it's similar to the Robbie Lawler. Very yeah. similar to the Robbie Lawler stoppage. And I will always 100% agree with Aaron towards the safety of fighters. And I, like, I agree with you to say it was not the best stop. It's granted that the circumstances that it was a championship fight, but at the end of the day, we're here to protect fighters. We're here. The same reason that Herb Dean stopped the fight with Tony Ferguson and people yeah. could say, he's still awake. He didn't stop. What's going on? Why are you stopping this? <laughs> it's, fighters never want to stop. Fighters always think they're still in it. Fighters always think they're still going to be able to fight. It's our job as officiators, our job as coaches, our job as people that are in charge of the, the well-being of these fighters to let them know that they can't protect them. Yep. 
it's a tough situation. Refing, refing has got to be the most thankless job on the planet. Yeah, I mean, on a perfect day, on a, on your like A plus A game day, people say nothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. When, you're, when you're the best, yeah. When, when, when you're, you're doing your job accordingly, yeah, no one, no one cares. It's, you're, no one, no, it's it's a non-issue. I remember exactly one time refs were like a ref was thanked, and it was actually Herb Dean. Um, I forget the fight, but there this uh, it was two fight. Uh, it was two guys. One had a an armbar locked up, and it didn't look like anything was happening. And Herb Dean suddenly stops the fight, and everyone's yelling, complaining at him, and like getting real on his on his case was about. But then London? the replay. I think so. The replay showed, and it's the and then the the replay showed that when you slowed it down, the arm very clearly broke, yeah. and the whole place gasped, and everyone's yeah. like, "Oh wow." We're the assholes. Thank you, Herb D. <laughs> so I got one quick question. I know you got to get going. I know you got some stuff going on, but I got one more question for you because I'd really want to hear your, your your opinions on this. Sure. What's next for that division? Now, unfortunately, the whole world's turned upside down because, you know, credit to Tony Ferguson. He took this fight. He didn't have to because he had a big, big money fight coming with Khabib, and he mm -hmm. took this fight with probably against a lot of the better judgments of a lot of his coaches. He took this fight with Gothi expecting to win and then to have Khabib Kevin, waiting it's, in the ring. It's, it's, it's I, I'm never going to get I know. Never but... <laughs> Just move on. Pretend I said it right. If you keep we'll saying Gothi, right. then a, a, a malformed <laughs> Justin Gaethje clone Thank you for your nationalism, you. Lord, allowing me to <laughs> okay. continue to do things Nodding. wrong and, and, and staying on, staying on, on topic. Sorry, um, sorry. What, what do you feel? You know, unfortunately, we're going to get robbed of probably the greatest fight in in MMA, you know, over the last 10 years, which would have been Ferguson and Gaethje. And people mm -hmm. say, well, Gothi beats, you know, beat Ferguson. So why wouldn't Khabib beat, you know, beat, beat Ferguson? Well, the, the, the point of the matter is the styles make fights. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, Khabib Ferguson is a much more interesting fight than, than, than Khabib and Gothi. I think Khabib will probably murk Gothi, just my opinion. And I also I feel disagree. that Ferguson, you think, I, 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 we could debate that. We could debate that. But let's, let's talk about that. What comes next in the division, where do you think that that Gothi is heading next? You think it's an automatic to have him go against Khabib? Oh yeah, because Connor's out there calling everybody out too. Uh. Oh, I know, but here's the thing: Gaethje Gaethje has been. I mean, <laughs> there have been on more <laughs> on more than a handful here. of occasions. Uh, it, it was made very clear that the winner of this will fight uh, Habib, and Habib is going to be ready uh, pretty soon here. Connor, as much as Connor's always going to be willing and able to slide into any type of main championship slot, you know, he just beat, he just beat Cowboy. So there, there is still, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a weird thing with the division. Did you also see that he was talking about how he wants to go up to welterweight? That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. He's, he's like, after well, he wants to do it. Connor will fight. He, he wants to fight anybody that's going to give yeah. a payday. He's out there. But, he's out there trying to stir stuff up. But listen, Gaethje, Gaethje versus Khabib is a very good fight. And it's, it's a very good fight in the sense that I think Gaethje actually has a better chance to be. And I thought this before, honestly, I swear I, I could bring up videos. I thought this before this fight. I think that Gaethje has um, a better chance to beat Habib than, than Tony did just based on their styles. I think that Gaethje is going to be a lot harder to take down. And here's so. When Habib really mauls people, he mauls them against the fence. His shot on the open mat is honestly not that great. He is not an elite 
open mat freestyle wrestler. He's an elite grappler. I mean, the elite grappler. Don't let him hear that, though. He'll... <laughs> <laughs> Against the cage, primarily. I mean, his open mat shot is great. Like, listen, it's a million times better than mine. I'm not comparing those two things. But my point is, he's best against the cage. And he gets the takedowns there. And the, one of his biggest weapons is challenging the up-down cardio of his opponents. And when he's facing guys who are predominantly strikers or a little bit of a wrestler boxer, but like really an MMA person, that up-down cardio, someone who takes you down, wears on you, lets you back up, takes you right back down, wears on you. Justin, Justin won't care about that. That's Justin's world. We don't yeah. see it in MMA because his takedown defense is so good that he doesn't give a crap about taking people down. He uses it defensively only. I personally think Habib is going to have a way harder time getting Justin down than we're giving Justin credit for. And the only reason I, I'm not even saying that I think Justin is going to win that fight. I'm, I'm pumping Justin up right now because the narrative is that Habib is unstoppable. So, I mean, I could talk for another 20 minutes about all of the amazing things that Habib does. I just love that fight. I really do. I, I I'll, I'll end on this because I know you get it going. I, I I think the the one weakness that Khabib has is that he thinks he's a banger and he's just not. He really mm -hmm. and and a lot of that goes to people saying, "Oh, you're just a grappler." You know, a lot of time fighters don't want to believe the hype and they listen to the critics and talk about yeah. how they're boring and they're only one sided. And they say, "Well, you know what? I'm going to show you like you do X Y Z exactly." And that hubris is what is their, is their undoing sometimes. And I feel like if he thinks he's going to stand there and bang with Gothi, he's going to get knocked out. We saw that almost happen against I don't know Connor. who this Gothi guy is, but he sounds I'm so horrible. I'm so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I've come on his show. He can correct my spot. No, my I, hey, listen. Name. That would be like he's obviously someone we would want. But uh, Laura, um, thank you so much for coming on. I know you got to yeah, get going. If, if you do, I have one very, very quick Wait, question. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Where's Fight Island? Where is it? I, <laughs> I wanna I, I wanna you. know. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. I did, however, hear officially there are four people in the entire UFC. Four people who actually know where it is, and wow, that is impressive. it. Did he tell us so who those four people are? I am are? not one of the four. <laughs> no, I will not tell you who the four. I'm one of them is obviously Dana. Uh yeah, right. but uh I am not one of the four. <laughs> Dana, Dana's mom. Uh, uh, who else? Henry, uh, in case he wants to come back. All right. Well, uh, Laura, we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. Helping hey, you're us welcome. Thank you guys for having the, me. Some of the big fights. Uh, hopefully this leads to a, a lot of other successful events in the future, even uh, under quarantine. But yeah. Uh, in the meantime, we're still here, but jujitsu and MMA and combat sports as we know them will return. Yeah, we're real inching. quick before you sign off, I just want to say one thing. I'm sorry for breaking you up. I apologize. I just want to take this opportunity to make sure and tell Laura happy Mother's Day because I know Aww, you were a mommy. And you. I know you were away from your child on, on Sunday you. because I follow you on Instagram. So happy Mother's Day. You deserve it. I appreciate it. that. And thank you have, very much. As children do not deserve our mothers. So thank you very much for everything that you Thank you. And also shout out, to, shout out to Mrs. Gallagher, who I met for the first – or talked to for the first time the other day. She was on my she, other podcast for Mother's Day. She's a, a complete sweetheart. And my own mom, who – Who's uh, who's just uh, an amazing woman? All moms are are, are raising amazing more often than not. And Laura, 
you are among them as well. Thank you so thank much you, for all buddy. that you do. And thank you for, again, for joining us because Love you it. have far better things to do. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> I don't know now. about that. I don't know. You could have been watching the trashiest reality. Do. I don't know that they're better, but I have a lot of things to do. You could have been watching the trashiest reality show TV ever and had a better <laughs> productive time. But no. thank you. This is really great, guys. Thank you. It. All right. Uh, again, I have been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined by my co host, Kevin Gallagher, and special guest, Laura Sanko. Laura. Thank you so much for joining us once again, and we will see you next time.